today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Well, who is that that's speaking? That's that remnant of people. And God doesn't forget the remnant. God does not forget the remnant. I don't care if you're the only person where you work that's a believer. I don't care if you're the only person in your family that's a believer, the only person on your street that's a believer. God does not forget the remnant. And he brings out blessings as you and I, wherever our situation is, as we remain faithful. There again, we we see God's hand. The book of Isaiah covers the full spectrum of God's plan for his people. He established them in grace. They turned away from him and went after their sin. Their sins will result in judgment. But God is still willing and longing to receive them back again to himself if they repent of their sins. We see the grace and love of God leaving their unmistakable marks in all of his works. In today's message, Pastor David will show us how Isaiah reminds us that God's love is ever-present, even in his judgment. Return to God today. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Isaiah chapter 7 as he continues his message, God's judgment and comfort. Outside of the book of Genesis, I think Isaiah is probably the most important book in the Old Testament. Now, there's a lot of great books in the Old Testament. There's no doubt about it. But what we find in Isaiah is the exact purpose and plan of God. We see the sinfulness of man. We see God's blessing upon them, the sinfulness of man, God drawing them back to himself, man's repentance, and then God restoring and with a promise of of an even greater future. Now, he brings punishment. He brings discipline upon Israel, upon uh, both Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the Lord kingdom. There's no doubt about that. But through it all, we see the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God. How many of you guys understand that when God brings discipline, we, we still experience his love and mercy, even in his discipline? You know, otherwise, man, it would, it would be wiped out. Amen? Well, some of us would. The rest of you guys, I guess you're doing okay. But... Uh, <laughs> The reality is, is I believe that even in his wrath, even in the greatness of God's wrath, still his love and his mercy kind of pull that wrath back a little bit because the greatness of who he is. The guys in our uh, Tuesday morning study were going through the attributes of God and we were talking about being all powerful and how he can do anything and, and just the might and the power of who God is. And yet in the midst of that, he does not utterly and completely destroy. Even when he destroyed the world in Noah's day, he still had compassion. Noah and his family were saved through it, and again, from there started. Basically, what we see here in the book of Isaiah, God is holy, 
the people are sinful, but God is merciful. And so God provides a means, uh, again, of, of, of escaping his wrath, of, of uh, again, reconciling back to him. Again, we, we see that the ultimate end of that, not through the sacrificial systems, not through uh, anything that he gave in the Old Testament, all of those pointed to the ultimate end of that, and that would be through the work of the servant, the Lord, the Messiah, Christ himself, as a sacrifice for the sin of man. Now, again, on that uh, final cleansing that uh, we, we, we see in, in, in salvation, we also see in the book of Isaiah that pointing time to the final completion of everything, not just the millennial kingdom, but the reality of a new heavens and and a new earth that he's going to be making. All of that within the book of Isaiah. As I shared with you over the last couple of weeks, Isaiah prophesied his ministry was through the kings of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah, and maybe even a little bit past Hezekiah to Hezekiah's son, Manasseh. Some believe that it was Manasseh that actually executed Isaiah. Uh, They look in the ages of these kings, the times that they reigned, uh, Isaiah's ministry could have very easily been 60 years of ministering and trying to bring the nation back to God. Now, I don't know if you really catch the glimpse of this, but 60 years is an extremely long time to pour your heart out to a rebellious people. And God has given you the clear vision of what's going to take place, and he's pouring his heart out to these people, the message going over and over and over again, and yet we don't see it really coming to complete fruition. God's still having to take these people into exile, and even in exile, there's issues that they're dealing with. Well, Isaiah's prophecy came about the time that the Assyrians had destroyed the northern kingdom. And again, uh, they, they threatened the southern kingdom at that point. God didn't let the Assyrians take the southern kingdom. Uh, it, it does talk about, again, the, 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 the captivity of Babylon. But again, even in the time frame of, of Isaiah's life, he was speaking that prophetically. Uh, again, the, the, the captivity and the exile of the southern kingdom actually happened about 100 years after Isaiah's life ended. Now, that's a problem for many because in his prophecy of the exile and of the captivity, modern scholars look at that and say, well, that must have been written by someone else, someone who is, again, there at that time and at that point that could write these things out in such great detail. They completely miss the fact that the greatness of our God can speak to his prophet to speak of the things that are going to happen. What are they going to do when we start seeing the things of Revelation take place? Now, wait a minute. You know, wait a minute. John wrote that back, you know, in the first century, and yet they're being fulfilled when those times come. Again, I believe that God speaks in in such a plain and straightway to his prophets, to his messengers, that a man like Isaiah could write down details, even to the point of naming the, 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 the king of Persia, uh, uh, Cyrus, and again, get it right. It doesn't have to be written later. I believe that God can speak through that. Well, his message speaks of, again, the hope of salvation, and it brings with it that, that longer hope, that, that new heavens, that new earth in the age to come. Uh, we see a, a target audience uh, here in the first half of the book as those that are, again, 
pre-exile Israel. So in other words, it's the southern kingdom before they go into captivity. The target audience for the second half of the book is actually those that are in exile and after they return. Uh, Now we know the, the difference there, but at the point that Isaiah is writing, he's writing what God is telling him to write. How much he sees, how much he comprehends of all that, we really don't know, but we can clearly see it now, this side of the exile. The fact is, is that each section includes really vivid descriptions as well as very uh, general things, and that's why there's a lot of controversy of who wrote, who really wrote the book and when they wrote it. Now, let's kind of, again, when we look at this, there's, there's so much here. To get to an outline of the book or to cover the book in any kind of a short period of time, you really can only touch on a few things as you go. And again, as I've shared with you, this study of Through the Bible in a Year more or less, uh, is hopefully just to whet your appetite to go back and read that book. Isaiah 66 chapters. And again, a powerful, powerful message. The book can be divided into two simple sections. The first section being the first half of the book, chapters 1 to 39, as being warnings and promises. The second half of the book, chapters 40 on through 66, being again that reconciliation and the fulfillment of many of the promises that God was given. Now, now, there, there's uh, Alan Ross, uh, uh, again, an article or a commentary that he has on the book of uh, Isaiah and several others actually divided up into three different sections. They divided up the book of judgment being chapters 1 through 35. Then they take a center portion, chapters 36 through 37, called the book of Hezekiah. Uh, during this time, Isaiah really zeroes in on the kingdom and the reign of Hezekiah and how things happen there. And then the third section being the book of comfort, verse or chapters 40 through 66. The, the, the first portion of this, we speak of, again, the judgment that God is going to bring. And we've covered chapters one through six, I believe, uh, fairly well uh, in a previous study. And I'm not going to go into that too deep other than, again, this was the message of God, a rebuke to the nation of Israel and a call for them to come together. We read through chapter one last week. And again, God says, look, though your sins are scarlet, they can be white as snow. Come, let us reason together. God wants reconciliation. That's the thing that blows my mind. Even in the greatest of our rebellion, God wants to be reconciled with us. In the worst of our attitudes, God says, come back to me and I'll turn back to you. Now that blows me away. That's why he's God and we're not, amen? Because again, he can see the greatness of, of the fullness of all of it. Uh, again, I'm going to look down in chapters 7 through 12. Uh, again, it's a, uh, the message of, of speaking of Emmanuel coming. Uh, king Ahaz, who was a wicked king who had uh, done so many vile things, um, he was given a sign whether he wanted it or not. We spoke a little bit about that again as, as Isaiah writes that uh, uh, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Uh, we get all the way over to uh, chapters uh, eight and and nine, and we understand that uh, uh, when we look and see what God is doing in, in the midst of all of this, 
uh, Ahaz doesn't want the sign, and yet God gives it anyway. The judgment of the nation, the hope of the deliverance, again, was going to be by the birth of that son. Now, God gives Isaiah a son, um, his, his son, Mehar Shahal Hasbaz, meaning the speed, the spoil, to, to hurry or haste the destruction. And again, I believe that that son is not the one that's being prophesied. The one that's being prophesied is the fulfillment of the birth of Messiah. And when we look over in chapter nine, verse six, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, that's not Isaiah's son. None of that could fit that. That was a prophetic message of the coming of the one who would bring the fullness of salvation. Uh, in chapters nine, on through chapter nine, verse eight, on into chapter 10, we read about the doom of Samaria. Samaria is the nation, again, of Syria, not Assyria, but Syria. And again, because uh, of, of the way that they worked justice, the, the evil that they had done, they thought that they could uh, make their own plans and go their own directions, but again, God's condemnation was coming on them. Chapters 10, verses 5 through about 12, 6, we see the destruction of the pride even of Assyria, the, the, the nation that took out the northern kingdom, that God was going to take them down in the midst of it all. Now, when we get to 13, chapter 13, I know we're going uh, zooming and, and jumping and picking, but we need to do this to get to some of the, uh, I think, deeper waters that we have here in Isaiah. We find out that the nation of, from Assyria, who was the great power uh, nation over most of the known world during the time when we had both the southern and the northern kingdom, when Assyria took out the northern kingdom. They tried to take out the southern kingdom. It didn't work. God brought judgment actually on the Assyrians by raising up the Babylonians. When the Babylonians came in, the Babylonians were going to be the ones that were going to bring discipline to the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. But again, even for them, they are going to have the punishment. They're gonna have the discipline of God upon themselves. The Babylonians will. But not only Babylon. We see all the way through uh, from chapter 13 to chapter 23, that God is gonna punish the nations all around Israel. All of Philistia, uh, they're gonna be howling over their calamity. We see that in chapter 14. The, the nation of Moab is gonna be lamenting for her doom. That's in chapter 15 and 16. Damascus and Samaria, they're gonna be plagued. That's chapter 17. Ethiopia is gonna be destroyed, uh, but yet they're gonna have a, an opening yet to come back to God. That's in chapter uh, 18. Uh, Egypt will be confounded, but in the future, again, they'll, they'll have access to the covenant, chapters 19 and on into 20. Babylon's fall, again, is re-spoken about in chapter 21. And uh, still in chapter 21, Edom, uh, again, is, 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 is declared that they're going to have punished. Arabia, uh, they're going to have a time of calamity. That's chapter 21. 
And then he speaks about uh, Jerusalem, that Jerusalem will be invaded in chapter 22. Chapter 22, look there if you would, beginning in verse 12. Chapter 22, verse 12. And in that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and for mourning, for baldness and for girding with sackcloth. But instead, joy and gladness, slaying oxen, killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. God had called for them to, again, mourn over their sin, to to turn to repentance. But instead, no, they continued on with sacrifices. They continued on in their rebellion of what God was calling. Hey, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Then it was revealed in my hearing by the Lord of hosts. Surely for this iniquity, there will be no atonement for you, even to your death, says the Lord God of hosts. That's pretty powerful. Can you imagine if you got to the point says, God says, I'm not forgiving you. You've gone as far as you can go. Chapter 23 talks about that Tyre will be overthrown. So then we get in, into, the, uh, literally, it's kind of a, a mini apocalypse that's kind of taking place in chapter 24. Look there in chapter 24 through 27. In chapter 24, all of that verse, judgment for sin is gonna fall on the land. But still, even in the midst of that, a remnant there is going to be saved through that process. In chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, pretty much all of, all of chapter 25, uh, praise is going to be offered to the Lord for his judgments, for his deliverance from that remnant. Look, look with me, if you would, there in chapter 25. Look at verses 6 through 9. We read that in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over the people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. A, 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 again, that time of reconciliation in that time of restoration. It'll be said, verse nine, it'll be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Well, who is that that's speaking? That's that remnant of people. And God doesn't forget the remnant. God does not forget the remnant. I don't care if you're the only person where you work that's a believer. I don't care if you're the only person in your family that's a believer, the only person on your street that's a believer. God does not forget the remnant. And he brings out blessings as you and I, wherever our situation is, as we remain faithful. There, again, we we see God's hand. Chapter 26, we see a song of rejoicing. It's, uh, again, that that consolation of Judah in the time of trouble. Look what he says there in verses uh, 7 through 9. He says, the way of the just is uprightness, O most upright. You weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name, for the remembrance of you. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. What a way to learn righteousness, right? Under judgment. 
How many of you learned as a child, uh, you know, righteousness in, in the midst of judgment? That's what brings it about. I mean, let's face it. We are all born sinners. And I can prove that over and over and over. All you have to do is go in the nursery, look at the youngest child, the one that's walking or, or speaking, and you see, man, that rebellious spirit, it's right there. It's all about me or it's no, no, no. Right, moms, dads, that, that's just the reality of it. That's why we all need redemption. And like he said, man, the judgments are from the judgments of the earth. The inhabitants will learn righteousness. Then we go on into chapter 27. He speaks about again, as with a vineyard, the Lord cares for his own, his, his discipline on them, though it, it differs from his judgments on the pagans. Do you understand that? The discipline of God on those who are his is totally different than his judgment on those that are against him. If, if you know the Lord and you are walking away from him, he will bring discipline on your life. You better hope and pray he brings discipline on your life because it's a loving God that disciplines his children. If you've been walking in disobedience and if you've been walking away from him and you're saying, well, God's letting me get away with so much, I keep going and going, and God hasn't done anything to me yet, then you better stop and pause and think, am I really his? Because he will bring discipline to his children. We look at the unbelievers that are in Israel, chapters 28 through 33. Again, uh, chapter 28, man, uh, this self-indulgent, this scoffing Israel, they will be judged. But even in that, there's this remnant that continues to advance the kingdom. And they're going to be, again, set and, and in place there. They'll, they'll be established. And again, a cornerstone is going to be laid in Zion. Look at verse 16 of chapter 28. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Also, I will make justice the measuring line, the righteousness and righteousness the plummet. And, and the hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. As often as it goes out, it will take you for morning by morning, it will pass over and by day and by night, it will be terror just to understand the report. God has that foundation of truth and of righteousness and as as long as man continues to reject that, man is going to be under the judgment of God. We know, again, from the New Testament that this stone, this tried stone, this precious cornerstone is the Lord Jesus. We understand that. We see that now at this point in time. When we get to chapter 29, again, those that, that, that are literally blind of soul, they're, 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 they're deceived. They're going to be turned over again to their enemies. And so that, again, the, 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 the whole nation uh, has to be sanctified with the blessing of God. Because, again, of those that, that are moving away, this disobedience. Look there in verse 9. Pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk and not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it's sealed. Then the book is delivered to one who is literate, saying, read this, please. And he says, but I'm not literate. Therefore, the Lord said, 
And as much as these people draw near with their mouths, they honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.